and welcome back to Essential Dynamics, the philosophy that helps you find your way on your quest. I'm Reed McCollum, your handsome host, and here with, as always, the man who uh, came up with this philosophy and actually knows how to guide me through it, and that's Derek Hudson. How are you, Derek? Reed, I'm fantastic. It's, uh, it's great to be back. I can't believe we're still Zooming this, but here we are. Yeah, that's true. This is, uh, this is podcast 25, Derek, and uh, here at the quarter century mark, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to mark it and stick it and say we've done pretty well for the first season. If, the, if we can consider the 25 episodes a season, in my television experience, that was pretty, uh, that's pretty close to what we would do. And, uh, and I'm very proud of uh, having been associated with you for that time or, and that you've put up with me. So uh, congratulations, Derek, on having 25 episodes in which to say something. It's, uh, it's hard to believe that, they, that we're here, 25. That's amazing. Yeah, well, let's, let's use it to reflect. Uh, we've got Derek here, of course, and we've also got, as always, our uh, studio guru and uh, technician. That's Mr. Bryn Griffiths. And uh, Bryn, are you there? I am, you guys, and this has been a lot of fun for me. I'm glad. Thank you. And I just want to point out to our listeners that Bryn and Derek and I all went to the same junior high and high school and knew each other then. And uh, although that was just, what, six years ago? Yeah, and, about uh, that, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've had some life experience since then, but we still have been able to reunite and say, let's do this podcast for Essential Dynamics. And talking about Essential Dynamics has has been what's brought us together in this for uh for this uh, period and uh Bryn you knew nothing about essential dynamics neither did I before we before we uh before Derek brought it up to us and and explained it uh say something about that well you know what I think Derek had kind of given me a, a, a brief version of it but the f- the fun part for me just sitting here listening to you guys talk and have a few guests on is the fact that what you did is you flushed it out for me. And that's been huge because I've been able to actually now look at my life and see how I've been applying some of this without even knowing it. So I've really enjoyed, I've enjoyed listening to you guys over the past 24 episodes. I've, I have to agree, Bryn. I've also been uh, quite impressed with Derek's uh, prescience and uh, his, his, his ability to identify universal themes and uh, and to actually put it into words this is how uh, life often goes and this is how uh, a best success works and uh, and that perspective has helped me as well i often think in terms of the quest and its purpose and purpose x and purpose y and uh, and derek i have to say there's a, there's a lot of richness to your philosophy well, you know, I don't know if it's my philosophy, Reed. It's certainly been a voyage of discovery uh, yes. more, th- more than creation. I think, I think I should have said perspective. Sure, sure. So, so one of the things I've been thinking about is, uh, is my professional practice kind of has three elements to it. And I, don't, I suppose it always has, uh, but it's, they've, they've been kind of crystallized over this past year. And so one of them is learning. Um, and so essential dynamics is really my tool as a professional to learn about the world and learn about how things work. 
the second thing is doing, and that's my consulting practice mm-hmm. where I help uh, people and organizations, you know, raise their level of performance and solve tricky problems. And then the other element is teaching. And so the uh, unconstrained CFO group that we're putting together and, and the, and the things that I'm doing to help CFOs perform better is, is the, is the teaching aspect. So I learn, I do, and I teach and it all kind of comes together. So I'm just, there's such a, there's such a need among CFOs. I mean, Bryn will agree that CFO, CFOs have been notorious until you came along for being, you know, dysfunctional. So uh, I'm so glad that you are you're there to advise. Well, there's there's two ways CFOs are dysfunctional, and one of them is when they steal all the money. That's very bad. That's a baddie. <laughs> That's yeah, a bad yeah. one. Um, <laughs> and the other one is when they're nerdy accountants and they don't relate well to the, the people in the real world in business. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go with uh, um, Rick Moranis's character on Ghostbusters for that one. So. Um, I, I like to think that there's a whole bunch of us in the middle who are both honest and, uh, and friendly, um, but we can always do better at helping organizations deal with tricky issues. And so anyway, it's fun, it's fun to uh, put all that together, and uh, I'm thrilled to be able to continue to talk about uh, these principles with smart people like you guys. Thank you. That's, uh, that's nice of you to say. I don't know if print qualifies. but Well, I, I want to know where do I send the direct deposit? For a comment like that, it goes right to Derek. I'll, I'll figure that out quick enough here. Thank you for that. It's my, it's on my Patreon account. Super. Now, Derek, I want to talk about something. Everybody has, I can say, I, I think everybody has a quest, but I think they have Quest X and Pet Quest Y. I don't know if they even know they have, uh, because frequently, you know, I want to be a, uh, well, let's take, we have a friend, a mutual friend who wanted to be an airline pilot and yet he was partially colorblind. Uh, he was able to overcome that and, and, uh, he became a, he found a way to become, uh, a pilot that is determination because he didn't want to do anything else. Uh, I'm, I'm quite impressed with that. I think that's terrific. Uh, Bryn always in, in Bryn is doing exactly what he's doing now as a, a broadcast and a prod, podcast uh, distributor, uh, engineer, uh, creator, Mighty Mouth, uh, the man is doing exactly what he said he would be doing when we were in junior high and uh, has had a career like that. Uh, I think I've always been very consistent about what I wanted and I have, uh, just as I predicted, failed in every medium. So uh, I am... Come on. I, I feel... Oh. <laughs> You're being a little harsh. Come on, and and succeeded in every medium as well. Yeah. Well, to some degree, and uh, I I feel like uh, that was a quest that now my quest has. Um, I used to be very ambitious. I used to want. To, I thought I was going to Los Angeles to be rich and famous, and after a few years, I thought, who needs famous? And then after a few years after that, many years after that, I realized who needs rich. And, uh, and I've, I've mellowed. My quest has changed. Uh, my fervor and passion uh, have not. I still feel very connected to my, 
to my uh, career goals, but I don't need to be, uh, I don't need to be the Oscar winner uh, anymore. I would like to be a presenter, but I, uh, I don't need to be the, I don't need to be the center stage any longer. Um, Bryn, do you have a, something similar about that? Well, you know what we, we, yeah, I've, I've been doing what I, I think I was born to do and, you know, 30 plus years in broadcasting and now venturing into podcast production has been great fun for me. However, and I thought that was my quest, Yeah. but not long ago, you know, obviously uh, I wasn't taken down by cancer, but I certainly was given a, an abrupt wake up call by a stomach cancer, which I had my whole stomach removed and had a lot of time sitting in the hospital in intensive care, wondering everything I've done and this is going to pull me down. Well, at the yeah. end of the day, the answer that I told myself was, no, it isn't, but it's going to change and redefine my quest. The other thing yeah. too is definition of who you are and what you are. For the longest time, I always thought, you know what? When I have my memorial service, they're going to say, to one of the very first things they're going to say, he was a really good broadcaster. I've come to realize now that will come up, but it won't be in the top five. That's really what? not truly what's going to define me. There's a lot <clears throat> of other little things in my life which will define me and my quest. And the other thing that I've really enjoyed about listening to this podcast with you guys over 24 episodes is that I've also recognized this plus the wake up call that cancer gave me is that the quest is ever changing, but it's fun to have a target. It's fun to have something to reach out for. And I I've really enjoyed listening to you guys and all the, all of the, uh, the side roads and diversions because it isn't all just one major freeway. There's a lot of little side roads you can take. And some of those roads have been great. Some of them for me have been, what am I doing on this road? Yeah. But you yeah. know what? I wouldn't change a damn thing. Yeah. I just wow. love the way it's rolled. Man, that's uh, that's pretty awesome coming from a guy with your more recent experience and challenges, Brent. So, Reed, one of the things I want to explore a little bit is the difference between find your quest and um, recognizing the call that you've received. And, um, you know, we were talking, um, actually we talked a few times because it's important to do this about uh, Tolkien's universe. And, you know, Frodo didn't say, I know, I'm going to save the world. Where's that ring? Um, he, was, he was called, perhaps even sort of, there was some sense of fate or prophecy or something like that, that, that the, the hobbits had a role to play in. So, there's a, a bit of a, a call that comes sometimes to people to step up. And um, yeah. that's, I, I like to be, I like to think that you can sort of form a quest out of any situation, but sometimes you just get snatched out and then you have to deal with the, the, the challenge or opportunity that you've uh, faced. And so I, I'd be really interested in, in, in all of our experiences where, where that's happened, whether it's been this innate, genetic need to create or talk in a microphone or whatever it is, or if it's been a situational thing where we actually got, you know, what has it been for you, Derek? Uh, you know, you know, we're talking about our junior high friends that knew what they wanted to be when they grew up. And, uh, you know, on the one hand, I chose a profession where I got a specific education, but second, I, you know, I don't think anyone in high school could have, 
had any idea what I what I would do. I didn't. No, know. no. Um, you know, astronaut was a good one until I was fatally nearsighted in grade two. Mm-hmm. So that was um, out. So that was out. Uh, NHL hockey was out probably by the time I was seven. Um, and uh, the things I was good at in school weren't cool, and I didn't even like some of them. So um, I, I wasn't necessarily born to do anything other than to maybe think and see patterns. But I do want to talk about uh, just, you know, this is, this is um, maybe a little more obvious because uh, when Reed and I and our friends were coming on 19 years old, uh, many of us said that we wanted to serve missions for our church. And, you know, they don't make you go. So, you know, it is a decision that you put your hand up and say, you know, I will, I will serve, but then you submit your application and then you actually get a call. It's a, it's a mission call. That's what it's called. It's a letter. It's from the president of the church. And it says you are called to serve as a missionary. And then you're assigned to go someplace. Right. And, and my great hope was that I would go someplace far away that I would learn, uh, really interesting language and get exposed to really different culture. And what Um, happened? What happened was I got called to Seoul, Korea. And, uh, and I arrived there in the fall of 1980. um, When there weren't very many, you know, Western people in Korea and you needed to speak Korean to survive. And so I had this fantastic growing experience of learning Korean, learning how to be a missionary and, you know, meeting wonderful people and helping and really feeling like I was, you know, you know, on the Lord's errand, so to speak. Uh, a year into it, I all of a sudden got the shock of my life, literally the thing that's changed my life the most in the shortest amount of time. And that was, I got a new call. I sat down with the mission president and he said, I have a I have a new call for you. And he gave me a letter from the president of the church, the same one who had sent me to Korea, sending me to Chicago because there was a tiny struggling branch of our church, a Korean speaking branch of our church in, you know, in Chicago. And they wanted some uh, missionaries to support it. And so within three days I was in Chicago. (laughs) So, so here's, here's the thing that, you know, this is why I kind of muse about this is because, um, I can tell all kinds of stories about who I am right now. And if I was ever in a job interview, you know, they would ask me, or what are you good at? And, you know, I could tell them stuff. Um, it's quite different to look back at yourself when you're 20 years old and see what you did because it's real. I mean, I can kind of change some of my perceptions of it, but it really happened. And what happened was I got put in a place where this little tiny Korean branch of the church had four people that were going to church. Um, And actually the first time I went, there were four Koreans in the the meeting. And one of them was the, the, the lead, the president of this little branch. And another one was his wife. And that was the last time I ever saw her. She left him and the church and, uh, you know, kind of never came back. Wow. Um, so we had this tiny little, tiny little group that uh, were barely hanging together. 
I was uh, 20 years old. My uh, missionary companion was 26, and he'd been a member of the church for two years, one of which was when he was a missionary. Um, and our mission leader said, we don't know what to do. You figure it out. <clears throat> so that was the, that was the call. Yeah. And what happened was I grew up. Um, I had to take a leadership role, even though I wasn't the leader. My companion, in fact, was the sort of the file leader. Uh, we had to figure out who these people were and what they needed. And um, we had to try to try to work for the right reasons to make a difference. Um, it's the most, you know, and, and like I said, it, like I moved halfway across the world in three days and was left to rely on all the stuff that I'd learned before with not very much, you know, other help or direction. Now, as a missionary, if you're on the Lord's errand, there is that help. And of course, that's a, that's a personal experience that I feel like I learned a lot from as well. Um, end result was, and I, you know, I don't want to take all the time because you guys have stories too, but the end result was um, in, I got there in October. By July, there were 40 people attending meetings every week. And um, this was my barometer is the missionaries we were replacing went home and they had a party and there were about six people at the party. And uh, I said to myself, when I go home, there's going to be a big party and it's not <laughs> going to be a party about me. It's just that there's going to be enough people, that there's a big party. Yeah. Uh, do you know those big stainless steel mixing bowls? Like they, they nest. Yes. The mm -hmm. biggest ones. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, picture one of these filled with kalbi, Korean ribs, marinating up to the top and being barbecued constantly over a period of many hours. <laughs> that was the party when I left in September. That's nice. Good for you. I can't have so those parties anymore because I can't eat those <laughs> things anymore because I don't have a stomach yeah, anymore. Well, that's right. Let's talk. I, I wonder about that, Bryn, because you... Now, prior to losing your stomach, you also lost a kidney. Is that right? Yes. And you know what? It's funny because you, you I, guys. I'm glad you think it's funny. Well, you know what? That's that's my nature. <laughs> my nature is to find a the 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 positive, funny part, or the unusual part of pretty much every situation I've been in, and I've been in some tough ones. I lost my dad when I was 29. He he died of a an aneurysm in his abdominal area, which you can't, you can't, it's a quick heart attack here today, gone later today. A few years yep. later, I lose my sister to an epileptic seizure, grand mal seizure. And she was, uh, she was 29. I was 31. Those were two life moments for me. Career is one thing, but it's the life moments for me that have made me sit back and go, what am I doing here? Yeah. What's my purpose? What's my goal? Right. And what's my quest? And I've had, I can list off, I can list off probably about six or seven life moments. And I tend to dwell on what can I do? I can't change it, but what can I do to take a positive out of this and make it work for me to feed me, to make sure that I have the drive to move on to the next step in life. And as, as I say, the, the biggest one will be the, the stomach cancer. Like I, the darkest part of my life 
because of COVID, nobody could come and visit me at the hospital. So I have my surgery, eight hours, remove my stomach. A couple of days later, I get an infection in my chest and I'm in ICU for a week. And they weren't sure if I was going to make it, but I did. Here I am. But I had to stay in hospital for another three weeks. And so I hadn't seen family at all. Maybe just a brief text message. And it's the darkest time of my life. But you know what? All the way through that dark period, I was able to find out what I'm all about. And I was able to find out what my next quest is. And for me, the quest isn't just at the end of the line. I think life is full of little quests that we've got to get to. It's that taking a next step in your life, taking a next step in your life. I had done a lot of charitable work for the Cross Cancer Institute and the Cure Cancer Foundation, Alberta Cancer Foundation, because I wanted to help people with cancer, not recognizing, thankfully, or knowing that I was going to be needing that support service myself later. But all, all I'm saying is that I try to find where I've been and where I'm going, and I put as much of a positive spin and try to make as much of a difference as I possibly can. What I've done for a career has been fun. It's been enjoyable. It's put food on the table, and I've met so many wonderful people. But at the end of the day, it's those life experiences that have really told me that my quest is a little bit different than where my career path has taken me. And so I just feed off of that. I had, I had recuperation time last summer where I did nothing but sit on the deck which was great. And we had a pretty good summer. I sat on the deck, worked on my tan. And all I thought to myself is what am I going to do next? And how can I make it a positive experience for people beyond just me? How can I get more involved and try to help somebody who might be going through my same experience? That's kind of where I'm at. And I, I really believe that my real big wake up call wasn't losing my dad, losing my sister, losing my mom. It was basically almost losing my life and recognizing that, I'm not ready to go yet, and I can try to make a positive in, a positive impact on a lot but of people through the, my actions. Wasn't the kidney enough? Like, didn't didn't the, losing the kidney make you think that in the first place? Well, the funny part is I lucked out there because I had developed shingles, and I went in, and I just happened to go to the hospital because I couldn't sleep one night, and they said, we think you're coming down with shingles. We're going to do an abdominal scan. Uh, and so they did the abdominal scan, and while they were there, they said, we, they came back and saw me. There was one doctor that was seeing me, two came back. And I kind of went, oh, that's interesting. The first doctor says, You're, you've got shingles. It's just coming on. We can get to it. The second doctor says, hi, I'm an oncologist. Well, that's a wake-up call just to hear yeah. that. He says, we've discovered a really tiny little tumor in your kidney, and we can remove that. But you're really lucky you came in tonight because we can fix that. What they weren't telling me was that, they weren't going to remove the tumor. The little tumor was in a spot where they had to remove the whole right kidney. But you know what? I lucked out. I'm still here. How, how I've survived this last little bout is everybody keeps saying, you know what? You're very inspirational. I don't look at it like that. I, I think that I've just, I'm a survivor, and I try to take what I've, what I've gone through, and I try to make the most of it, and I try to make sure that I can have a positive impact on people. That's my yeah. quest. Hey, hey, Brent, can I ask you, in those dark times, did you ever ask, you know, why me? No, it's really bizarre. You know, you, I, I, I think the, the thing that was constant for me was, as I was lying there, I would think to myself, okay, so how do you get out of this one? And uh, 
I, I, I do remember constantly saying to myself, I have a lot more to give. And, and when I, I joke about the fact that I say I wasn't ready to go, well, clearly I wasn't. But I thought that. I thought, I don't want, the only thing I felt, I felt a little cheated because if this takes me down, I got a lot more that I can contribute to people. And so that's where my, my goal is. All it's done is it's made my hunger to work harder for those particular groups. And uh, that's what I'm planning on doing from now until that time does come. Right. But Most I've never, I, I don't, I'm not a big, I don't like the woe is me thing. That's just not really how I tick. I just, I tend to, I be, so admire I tend to look Bryn. ahead. I, I so admire you for that, Bryn. That's just, uh, I agree. That's part of your nature. I admire it and uh, I'm grateful for it. I, I do have that nature of woe is me. It's, uh, it's called depression and it is, uh, it is a scary monster that rears its head every so often. I think going back to, uh, Derek, when you mentioned uh, the call, I you're right. In literature, uh, there is there are ample uh, examples of people, uh, well, being forced into a call. Um, the great archetypal uh, stories all have it. They say you must perform this these seven great wonders before you can marry my daughter. Uh, that they 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 have a job to do, and uh, ever since a tall bearded man uh, brought me a ring that I was supposed to carry to this mountain, and I said get out of here, I have regretted that. Uh, I I I wish uh, I wish I had the stamina to really take on such a call, uh, but I'm not sure I could survive what Bryn has encountered, for instance. I do see a lot more bravery around me than I have within me. And uh, I, I, do, um, I do have those moments of why me. But I, essentially, my, uh, my wake-up call was my brother's death. Uh, my brother committed suicide at 18. And uh, I was stunned. I had no idea of the extent of his problems. Uh, I knew I had suspected that some were drug related and it turned out that was true. Um, I had a plan. Once I figured, once I was told by my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, who was able to point it out that my brother was having that problem. My sister and I just looked at each other with wide open saucer eyes and went, wow, that's true, all the clues fit. And I wrote a play, which is, uh, which I realize is just as, I now realize was a very weak response, but I wrote a play in which the, the older brother has a gift for his younger brother, is protective for the brother, for the protective of the brother throughout. And then at the end, uh, wants him to come to school and be his roommate so that he can protect his brother. And uh, I was, I had written that play and I was, we were going to have a family reunion in August and I was going to hand in the play and say, please read this. And that was how I was going to tell him I knew. And uh, he died on July 23rd. So uh, I missed it. 
and uh, and I realized ever since that I have missed him far better than I loved him. I swore to myself that would never happen again. And then I had a sister die of leukemia uh, at 26, who told me three days before she died, I, I'm not going to die because I haven't lived yet. And uh, and I, darn it, it's, it didn't quite happen again. There were things I did fix with her, but, you know, my dad died a few days before he was 80. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm probably going to miss him better than I loved him because we didn't really know each other all that well. And, uh, and I'm ashamed of that, that I keep getting the lesson retaught or reestablished. Can I ask you a question? And yeah. this is what I asked myself a lot in the past year. Am I a look ahead to the tomorrow guy or am I a look back at yesterday guy? And I do I love right. I do ahead. love to look back and reflect uh -huh. a little bit, but I I really focus on the positive of the day ahead. And I think you're That's, strong I think you're stronger than you think, Ruid. Well, thank you, but I part of the reason my brother's death hit me so hard was because everybody in the family thought it would be me. And uh, I even came down the stairs at the funeral. I remember coming down the stairs in the house and hearing my sister say that to my mother. And, uh, and I said, and then they looked just horrified because they'd been caught. And I said, no, it's okay. I thought so too. But here you are. Hey, hey uh, Reed. Mm -hmm. um, I think that one aspect of the call that you've been given is to write. So, so here you talk about your brother and your gift to him was writing. Mm -hmm. Correct. I don't think people that have, um, I don't want to criticize people that are always positive, but you know, I think there needs to be something to write about. Yeah. If it's, if it's all sunshine and roses, it doesn't become very interesting. And so one of the, you know, things we talk about in the quest is without opposition, there's no That's quest. Right. That's right. Right. That's right. In fact, opposition defines the quest in some way. And your response is almost always to write. Yes, that's true. And I appreciate that. That's that's kind of you to say because it does remind me, just like Bryn did, that I I have something to offer. And I'm grateful for the people around me who keep uh, pulling me up when uh, my natural, maybe not my natural, but my uh, my knee jerk response anyway is to give in to depression. And lately, that's not true. Lately, I've really fought against depression, especially during COVID and isolation. I thought I wanted to be alone a lot. I was doing social distancing well before it was popular. Yeah. But uh, I, I had no idea how isolating it was. I, for various reasons, I'm, my car is not working and I have not been able to drive uh, for some time. And I feel, I feel very, very uh, well isolated. I don't know how else to say it. And um, I've been working on a, a project for the, a different, a, a series of film projects for academia on caregiving for the elderly. And it's felt more relevant with every, every draft 
to me. And, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for those challenges. I'm grateful for the things that have, that have uh, brought those to life. Hey, well, Reed, let me just, I, I wish I could remember who said this and, and maybe you can even know who said it. They talked about the fact that you can't change what's happened, but you can change what's ahead. I wish right. that's kind of a summation of, of what I've been hearing. And for me, that's, that's my goal now is that, I, I just want to make sure that I build on every day. I can't That's right. I can't dwell too long on what's happened to me in the past. I just have to learn from it and make sure that I can make as much out of every day. And so that's kind of the direction I go. I love that. I love that I I I feel again the need to reemphasize that in liter- great literature, the great archetypal stories have those moments of somebody being uh, the protagonist being uh, maybe dragged into a uh, uh, mission sort of uh, setting and then um, being uh, defined by it or helped by it. Right. Uh, I feel like, uh, well, you know, there's Frodo and there's, there's Jean Valjean and, and King Arthur. And uh, there's, there's just, there's Don Quixote even in his imagined quest, uh, in his imagined persona, even he had obstacles to overcome if they were just windmills or were they, were they great monsters? Uh, I think we all can relate to those stories and that's why they are, they're relatable. Um, Derek, I know my, sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, Reed, I, I completely get where you're going with that. I was just going to say to, to Derek, cause you know, we, we could talk for hours because we're such good friends, all of us. But this to kind of sum up your season one, based on what, what we're hearing here, this, this has been just a great, great kickoff for you, I think. Reed, yeah. I don't know if you feel the same way. Oh, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. I think it's been one of the highlights of my life to talk to my friend Derek about how he lived his life and, uh, and what he thinks it means. And this has been really an honor to be part of, uh, even outshining the time I was asked to be an Avenger. There we go. Well, I hope that one makes its way out of the archives at some point. <laughs> so, guys, guys, I have to, I have to thank you because I kind of had a choice when I started putting this together: was do I, do I write it all down, um, and just have it come out of my own head, and I thought, because, you know, Brynn and I had been talking about podcasts that let's have a conversation because I don't think, I don't think we do very well when we learn stuff out of a book in isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and even this idea of a quest is really, you know, life's experience where, you know, our philosophy is that life is a challenge and that's how we learn and grow. Right. Right. And okay. it can have these, it can have these big, big meanings. Yeah. Or, or it can help you get through a tedious task. That's true. So true. Derek, you have a new website. I want to, where is it? So, yeah, I, I talked about uh, the efforts I'm making to uh, teach CFOs. We had Ann McTaggart on a, a few weeks ago. So you can find us at unconstrainedcfo.com. Unconstrainedcfo.com. If you're a financially minded person and you want to get in the group, and if you're a normal person, uh, <laughs> the rest of you, 
then come to DerekHudson.ca, and uh, that's a that's a broader view of the world. Well, let's check it out, ladies and gentlemen who are listening. We are glad that you have been listening. We hope you'll let us know how you uh, have enjoyed our uh, podcast, and we look forward to seeing you just shortly in season two, uh, where we have a lot of exciting things lined up to talk to you about. And for Bryn Griffiths, our studio engineer. Bryn, thank you. No problem, guys. Thank you, Bryn. Thank you. And, uh, and Derek Hudson, always our leader and, uh, and reminder of, uh, of all good things essential. Thank you. Derek? Thank you. Do I get to say it this time? Yeah. Uh, well, all right, I'll let you. I'm Reed McCollum, and you're a very handsome host, and now Derek is going to say it. Consider your quest. Mm-hmm.